Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, June 25th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, how could changes in state taxes contribute to rising infrastructure costs? We'll hear from officials. Then, after Everyday Tech, find out how a Mississippi Delta program is revitalizing communities. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Two U.S. Supreme Court rulings are increasing the chances for a special session in the Mississippi legislature. One ruling allows sports betting, and the other lets states enforce collecting Internet sales tax. Lawmakers say funds generated from the recently passed measures could be used to help improve the state's crumbling infrastructure. Kathy Waterbury is Associate Commissioner with the State Department of Revenue. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier how the move on Internet sales changes state law. The effect of the decision is that all of the out-of-state sellers who don't have physical presence here must now collect our tax for us. Mississippi already has laws and regulations in place that requires these out-of-state sellers to collect our tax. However, we've been prohibited from doing that because of the Quill decision that the U.S. Supreme Court made in 1992. The Wayfair decision overturned the Quill decision. So that thing that kept us from enforcing the law has now been removed. So we will be able to enforce the laws already in place. So those that um, don't have physical presence here, those out-of-state sellers, and Mississippi has a regulation that says they must have sales into the state greater than $250,000 for the year, uh, will now be required to register and collect our tax. One thing I do want to point out is that um, we already have over 2,000 what we used to call voluntary taxpayers. Um, they're no longer voluntary, but they were voluntary. And so far this year, uh, with just a few days left in, the, uh, in fiscal 18, they have paid $63 million in taxes. So we already have a lot of out-of-state sellers who don't have a physical presence here um, who have already agreed to collect the tax and are doing so. Uh, what we will uh, do now is uh, try to get the rest of those registered as quickly as possible and get them, um, you know, collecting and remitting to the state. So it would be on your office to contact these online sellers? Yes, we've contacted a lot of them prior and asked them to collect the tax for us. Of course, they chose at this point not to. But, you know, at this point, it's not uh, no longer a choice that they would have. They are required by law to do so. So we will be enforcing those laws. But, yes, we will be making sure that they all are, are registered. And there, there are some that are not going to meet the criteria because their sales are less than 250000 in the state. So we will need to talk with them and see what their sales are and make a determination of whether or not they need to register. So this is going to be a process that will take a little time. 
Yes, we we expect you know that at least the next quarter we'll be working uh, diligently on that project. How much money do you anticipate this internet sales tax will mean? We think for the next fiscal year, which is fiscal year nineteen, we will see between thirty and fifty million dollars. We think the years after that we will see between fifty and seventy-five million. The estimates lower for next year due to that, what I just mentioned, that crank-up time for us to get everybody enrolled and collecting and reporting. Also, the U.S. Supreme Court passed a ruling on sports betting. How does that affect the state in terms of tax collections? I've heard that the Gaming Commission has, has approved their regulations, so it should go into effect uh, shortly. Um, it will be additional revenue for the state. It is just like any other gambling revenue at the casinos, and they will be taxed accordingly. And so there will be additional revenue. We just don't have a really good estimate at this point. We don't know how many people will take advantage of that new uh, game, if you will, uh, game of chance with the casinos. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that's looking at the benefit that could come in terms of dollars for the state in tax revenue? Well, I mean, there's obviously the influx of new revenue that the legislature can appropriate or allow to go to the general fund that would help all state agencies ultimately that provide services to the citizens of the state. In addition to that, though, there are small businesses, there are mom-and-pop businesses and other business, big businesses that have invested in Mississippi. They have buildings here. They have workers here. They are contributing to the local economies, but they've been competing with the online sellers because the online sellers are able to, at least not up until now, charge them sales tax. So this helps level the playing field. Department of Revenue Associate Commissioner Kathy Waterbury Mississippi lawmakers have been unable to reach an agreement on funding the state's crumbling infrastructure, with many saying a tax increase was off the table. Republican Representative Charles Busby of Pascagoula is chair of the House Transportation Committee. He tells our Desiree Frazier the rulings present new opportunity. I don't think there was any surprises there. Uh, Me and my colleagues, uh, we expected that that the Quill decision would be overturned, and uh, so we had drafted legislation to uh, to do some things in anticipation that uh, whatever hits would come to the general fund as a result of that legislation would be backfilled by uh, not only an overturning of the Quill decision, but uh, other things that we anticipated, such as sports betting. Well, you had a bill the last legislative session that passed the House, but it didn't make it through the Senate, that would have instituted use of online sales tax money. What do you think happens with that now? Do you have to go all the way back through the process? Well, certainly we do, but, you know, it uh, it earmarked 35 percent of the use tax, which this would fall under, and obviously that number would go up as a result of uh, collecting it uh, from everyone who participates in Internet sales. So as it was, that number was about $116 million. I believe the total being collected now is about $300 million. Is that going to make much of a difference? If you put it in, in its total context, sure it will, uh, you know, because the initial bill would have been 35% of $300 million. Now you're talking about 35% of $375 million for, you know, a total of 
of about 130, 132 million dollars, something like that. So yeah, it does make a difference. Absolutely. You've been advocating uh, strongly to do something about the state's roads and bridges. Do you see a special session being called by the governor now? I can only hope so. I think there is uh, sufficient reason to call a special session. I believe that the House of Representatives is ready to go. We have a bill drafted. We are ready. I believe we will pass a bill. If a special session were to be called, we would pass a bill immediately in the first day of a special session, and hopefully our Senate colleagues would go along with it. Do you get the sense that that would happen, that you guys can meet the Senate and the House and come up with a plan? I believe that the House of Representatives has a solid plan that we can pass and send to the Senate, and I would hope that they would give it the just consideration that it deserves. House Republican Charles Busby. Democratic Senator Willie Simmons of Cleveland chairs the Senate Transportation Committee. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the ruling keeps more funding within the state. You know, a lot of folks now purchase things over the Internet as opposed to going to the local stores. And based upon the system, the way it has been in the past, when they leave the community and purchase it on the Internet, we lose that ability to tax so our revenue drops. Not only does it hurt the state, but it also hurts the local community. So I was very pleased to see that. The thought came to my mind was that the court system oftentimes are somewhat punitive or penalizes the state of Mississippi because of some evil doing or wrong done that it may have done in the past through discrimination and other things and it's correcting the situation. But when you look at this particular ruling that allows us to collect the internet sale tax and then the other ruling that will allow the state to participate in sports betting. Both of those entities are going to create more revenue for the state with the need that we have for infrastructure, transportation, our bridges and roads. Hopefully uh, we'll be able to see some help coming from those two entities. Now that that ruling is there, what do you think is going to happen in terms of being able to use those dollars for roads and bridges? As you well know, when the a situation is in the court. Even if we pass legislation, uh, we're just having it on the books. Uh, like the legislation that we had for sports betting, it was on the books, but we weren't generating and benefiting from it because the case was in the court. And the same would apply to the Internet sale tax. But the court now has spoken. So I think uh, the Senate, the entire legislation, We'll definitely be looking at that because, again, it creates revenue for the local community and the state. Do you see the governor calling a legislative session on this issue now? Well, well, no. We left the regular session uh, with the intent and hope of coming together for a special session to deal with infrastructure. That was uh, expressed on the Senate side as well as on the House side. The governor has gone on record saying that he would call a special session, but he, as in most special sessions, he wants an agreement between the two chambers, and that's what's being worked on so that we can agree that we're going to come in and address the issue and go home. So hopefully we will see leadership on both sides agreeing to the ways and means of taking care of our infrastructure. Can you briefly tell us how dire the need is for work on the state's roads and bridges? Very dire. We need about three 
and a half billion dollars total. We need about $350 million a year for at least 10 years to address the bridge situation that we have in the state of Mississippi. Uh, we have a number of bridges that have been posted and are deficient. Many of those bridges have been closed. Uh, you probably will see more closure. We've had the federal government to get involved in it and to come in and close those timber bridges that we had. Although we did a bond bill this year, and in the bond bill, we put $50 million in it for the uh, state aid program for local bridges. But that $50 million, you know, even when we apply that, is not going to go anywhere in the way of taking care of the overall problem. It's just a band-aid, so to speak. So we need to get real about it, and we need to come up with some recurrent funds for ways and means of taking care of our infrastructure system. And we need to do that before we have a tragedy where a bridge collapses and someone is killed or some individuals are killed. Well, Senator Simmons, we appreciate your time in talking about this important issue. Thank you. Senate Democrat Willie Simmons with our Desiree Frazier. A spokesperson for Governor Phil Bryant says in a statement, Governor Bryant remains in discussions with legislative leadership about a potential special session. If those discussions produce a framework, he'll call one. Coming up, find out how a Mississippi Delta program is revitalizing communities. That's after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you miss anything on MPB Think Radio, you can always stay up to date by logging on to our website at mpbonline.org or use your mobile device and download our MPB public media app. This is MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilt Couture and Jeremy Thompson, and today we're discussing home networking systems. So guys, setting up a home networking system can be challenging, but with new advances in technology, it doesn't have to be. As technology has advanced, one of the really nice things is it's become much more simple. It's a lot more user-friendly, and the idea of pretty much anyone being able to pull something out of the box and work with it really has become a reality. Yeah, I install these devices all the time, and I've watched them over the years become easier and easier to use, and now you can even set them up from your smartphone. So what are some tips you would give someone wanting to set up their own? home network? Well, one of the first pieces of advice I would give to someone is it's very similar to what we say about real estate. It's all location, location, location. For one, it's got to be somewhere that you can easily access. But And especially nowadays when you're dealing with wireless, where you place that wireless device in your home or even in your business is so important to what kind of experience you're going to have with it. So placing things, for example, on a metal filing cabinet, really not a good idea if you're talking about wireless signals. Uh, likewise, setting things up to run in your kitchen for whatever reason. You know, you remember a lot of high voltage runs through kitchens. So where you place these devices really will dictate your experience. And you definitely want to place it somewhere central to where most of your activity is going on. And for most people, that's actually right in the middle of their house. Uh, when your ISP, your internet provider, is coming to install this in your house, you can tell them where you would like for them to set this up. Make sure that it's a location that is convenient for you. Otherwise, they'll just grab a wire and plug it in. And another thing to think about, when you're talking about all this equipment, it, it's really easy, especially in the world of technology, to get lost in terminology and to get lost in some of the different terms people will throw out there to you. I tell folks, labeling is your friend. 
even if that just means taking a post-it note and sticking it on something and say, hey, this is the modem, this is the router, this is the switch, or even something as simple as, hey, this is the password to get back into it and sticking it underneath the device. You know, while a lot of us computer folks will tell you, no, don't just stick your password out there for anybody to find, I find when dealing with it in a home environment, the likelihood of someone coming along and stealing your password out of your living room is probably pretty slim. So so making sure you make those notes, because it could be another year down the road that you're trying to get into this, and you want to be able to find the information that you need. Absolutely. And when we talk about labeling, we want to make sure that we're not just talking about the equipment itself, um, but also the adapters, because those can get misplaced if you have to move. Uh, it's hard to find the adapter that goes back into that particular device, as well as the cables that go into your equipment. Uh, this is the one for the dining room. This is the one for the living room room, et cetera, et cetera. Always knowing which of those cables goes where will reduce uh, difficulty later when you're trying to troubleshoot a problem. So what are the most common problems you've noticed with home networking systems? When I get called into a customer's house, uh, the main issue is probably speed. Uh, So when I go there, I look at what device they're running, and usually it's some type of outdated equipment. And so I'll say, you need to call your Internet service provider, and you need to get them to come and update this equipment, or you need to take it back to them, and they need to give you an updated piece of equipment. So definitely making sure that your equipment is compatible with today's standards is a good place to start, as well as making sure that you don't have older equipment that is slowing you down, like wireless G or N routers. Both of those are outdated, and they slow everything down these days. And you bring up a great point. Point, Jeremy, and another thing to add on to that is remember that over time, your networking equipment, your home networking equipment will actually wear out. It's, it's, remember, we're asking these things to run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So over time, with electricity running through it and heat and cooling and all these other things going on, the devices can wear out. So yeah, it is pretty possible that down the road, you will have to actually replace a device or put something in there a little bit newer and just making sure you're staying up with it. That wireless router you had from 10 years ago is not going to be keeping up with what we're doing today. And when it comes to uh, what you hook those devices to, as far as power goes, you may want to consider a battery backup of some kind, but at least a surge protector to protect that device in the event of some sort of power event. So, Michelle, while on the surface, it may seem kind of intimidating to set up and manage a home network, especially nowadays, it really should not be. A lot of steps have been taken, a lot of advances have been made to make the whole process and the whole experience just so much smoother for everyone. So a lot of those challenges can be overcome just by simply doing just a little bit of research and making sure that what you're getting is going to fit your needs. Well, that will wrap us up for today. To hear more Everyday Tech, tune in each Wednesday at 10 a.m. or online at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Contreras and Jeremy Thompson, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on the Mississippi Edition. There's a new face on the political block. My election signals how important it is to have candidates who have the same life experiences as everyday Americans. Democratic candidate for governor Stacey Abrams makes strides in Georgia. I'm Tanzina Vega, and that's next time on The Takeaway from WNYC and PRI Public Radio International. Today at 2 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Some organizations in the Mississippi Delta are working to uplift rural communities. Decreases in populations in communities across the state and nation raise questions about sustainability and opportunities for the residents who stay. The 36% poverty rate in Greenville also means finding affordable housing can be a challenge. The Greater Greenville Housing and Revitalization Association is one nonprofit working to provide answers to those questions. The Community Development Center uses a strategy called Shrinking Smart. The practice aims to increase opportunities and quality of life in places while populations decrease. Daniel Boggs is CEO of the Greater Greenville Housing Association. He tells MPB's Alexandra Watts more. We're a nonprofit organization that has the capacity to also uh, serve dual roles as a developer. Uh, which allows us access to additional funding to address affordable housing needs within, uh, within our service area. Over the, over the course of the years, we have evolved into the organization that basically handles all of the affordable housing needs and rental assistance needs, um, rehabilitation needs uh, for the greater Greenville community. So this has been around for 23 years, you said, correct? Correct. What have been some of the changes that you've seen or just some of the changes that you've noticed in that time period? Um, I, I actually came in in July of 2012, um, and to be quite honest with you, uh, the entire staff uh, has come in over that time as well. Okay. Uh, whenever I started in July of 2012, I would say the biggest change is that we were a staff of two, you know, and now we're a staff of seven, and obviously that's because of the need uh, that we have within the community. And, and we do a lot of different programs from rental, uh, affordable housing rental to homeowner rehabilitation, uh, we're also a Main Street organization, which administers the Delta Hot Tamale Festival. We do the Fourth of July Festival, Christmas Parade. We do downtown revitalization. Um, we do facade grants. I mean, there are there are a lot of things that we do within this community that, uh, again, has obviously within the past six years um, has had an increased demand for. So, you know, the big change is that, you know, we've expanded and, um, you know, just that we just continue to grow. We have a waiting list of over 800, uh, 583 families for rental housing assistance. You know, and going back to the issue at hand, you know, you have this in all rural communities, especially in the Mississippi Delta, is, you know, we have a very old housing stock and it's really a, it's a substandard housing stock. Rural communities are, are uh, primarily populated with very... Uh, poor, low-income individuals, high poverty rates. I think our poverty rate right now is 38%, 39%. You know, and whenever you look at traditional development, specifically in a metropolitan community, is all about flipping. It's all about turnover. Um, whenever a private developer goes in and invests in a property, he's not looking to maintain that property for long term. He's looking to flip it and within the next three to seven years, honestly, unload it, make a profit, and move on to the next project. In rural communities, however, uh, you do not see the appraisal values keeping up with the construction cost. You know, we even see that with the developments that we're doing right now. We're just fortunate enough to have funding entities, uh, funders, you know, that help support our mission so we can continue to do things within this community. That is a big need. You know, this last project, uh, for instance, we have five different funding sources. And that's why you see a lack of private investment in the rural communities. And that's why, you know, Greenville is comprised right now of 16,000 housing units. And only 6% of those units have been built since 1995. The majority of that would just be typical individuals just like you and I that just say, 
I want a new house, I'm going to build it. You don't have developers coming into Greenville, Mississippi that say, I want to build a 42-unit development because it's not going to cash flow, it's not going to make money for them. So, you know, that's the issue that we have not only in Greenville but in rural communities is that there really is no incentive for these for-profit developers as of now to come in here and, and make money. So, you know, our organization, organizations like us, nonprofit CDCs, this is our opportunity, and we're the ones that have to step up and say, if we want a better community, we're going to have to we're going to have to put the work in, and we're going to have to make it happen. Greater Greenville Association CEO Daniel Boggs with our Alexandra Watts. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at nine o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at ten, it's Now You're Talking, and at eleven, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.